Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizian Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. Antimicrobial stewardship programs are critical to optimizing utilization, mitigating resistance, and improving patient outcomes. These programs are continuously refined, and recent updates to the Joint Commission standards provide an opportunity to enhance our approach. Dr. Ripple Jerry Walla, infectious diseases clinical pharmacist and assistant clinical professor at the University of California, San Francisco, and Dr. Ethan A. Smith, clinical infectious diseases pharmacy specialist at Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center, join us to discuss the revised standards and implications for pharmacy. I'm Gretchen Brummel, pharmacy executive director in the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence and your program host. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Yes, thank you for having us, Gretchen. Pleasure to be here. Tell me about your backgrounds and your practice sites. I've been an ID pharmacist for almost 15 years, and I've been involved in starting or expanding a stewardship program at two different institutions. I actually focus on adult antimicrobial stewardship at my current institution and involved in system level changes as well as being a frontline individual. I've been an ID pharmacist for about eight years now. I currently practice at Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles. I cover adult and abdominal and thoracic transplant services. Before that, I was a program coordinator for infectious diseases and a drug use policy manager. I have a strong interest in how we use technology and data to support our antimicrobial stewardship efforts, along with therapeutic drug monitoring and gram-negative resistance. We've heard quite a bit about antimicrobial stewardship and the standards in a recent Knowledge on the Go podcast episode, which we'll link to in the show notes. But I'd like to explore this further with you, especially from a pharmacist perspective. First off, can you give me a brief update of the changes? Absolutely. A high-level summary is the new Joint Commission standards went into effect as of January 1st of this year. There are a total of 12 elements of performance, and compared to the 2017 standards, there are a number of revisions, several new standards, and removal of one standard. And these still fall under medication management. The high-level description of what we will see with these standards is that we still don't have a minimum FT that's outlined by the standards for pharmacists. And it doesn't explicitly mention the need for data analytics FT support. In general, these standards really are pushing more for measuring some type of element, such as prescribing or some type of guideline adherence, and then getting the data to analyze it and then outlining next steps with the interpretation of the data. The biggest takeaway from this is that data is a common theme with these standards. So you mentioned the changes in the elements of performance. How are you interpreting the new EP10 Joint Commission Standard about financial and IT resources? My interpretation is that hospital and pharmacy leadership should ensure that stewardship programs have access to institutional data and remove those barriers related to IT security access for patient level data so we can see what is really happening on a systematic level as well as on an individual level. Part of the investment that's really needed is that data analytics should be part of that investment so we can have real-time data and making sure that we are meeting the other joint commission standards as well as having the personnel that have the expertise to help stewardship programs. We really need people to analyze this data so that way our frontline stewardship folks can actually focus on programmatic changes. The ideal state or best practice would be having an analyst with clinical experience so they understand some of the nuances related to translating that data and making sure that the information is appropriate. 
It's also ideal to have the hospital leadership to invest in infection prevention or control, depending on your institution, how you phrase that, and making sure that they are staffed well to support the National Health Safety Network or NHSN reporting and other qualified personnel to aid in this process. And it depends on the budgeting and what is the current state at your facility. I couldn't agree more. I'll just add to that, that from an IT standpoint, really having that leadership investment in their ASP by prioritizing IT tickets or changes within the electronic health record for stewardship. Infectious disease is an extremely dynamic field and things are constantly evolving and changing, whether that be new guidelines, susceptibility breakpoints, antimicrobial resistance. We really need to be able to pivot quickly and implement new guidelines or dosing recommendations And we really need that support and that prioritization from the organization. And just to expand a little bit about what Ripple said with data analysis, a lot of these decisions that we're driving, for example, might be based on our hospital's antibiogram, which we're going to produce, generally speaking, every year. So we need those analysts to be able to understand the intricacies in that workflow so that we can push out those changes in a timely manner and not be acting on data that's months, if not years old at a given point in time. You know, another big issue that plagues pharmacy in general and anime microbial stewardship and infectious disease is certainly no exception is drug shortages. For example, right now we're dealing with intravenous clindamycin shortage. So how do we get the word out to those frontline folks that might be prescribing it? The best way to do that is at the point of prescribing, but it takes resources to be able to implement those changes in your EHR to make those folks aware that this is a shortage and the drug needs to be preserved for critically ill patients. Another thing that came along this year with the CLSI changes in their breakpoints for the aminoglycosides, that was probably one of the biggest breakpoint changes that have come across across in the last several years of breakpoint changes, and it really changed the landscape in the way that the aminoglycosides were prescribed. Now that these changes are in place, how do we interface with our microbiology lab, with our IT resources to get those breakpoints updated in the HR in a timely fashion so that this information is actionable to clinicians who are prescribing these drugs? Lastly, ensuring that this technology is as integrated within your electronic health record as much as possible. Micro comments that nudge folks to prescribe the right drug, especially when there's changes like these breakpoints. Why can't I prescribe tobramycin or genomycin or amicase in a given situation anymore? Rather than having that call come to the stewardship program who's dealing with a number of other potentially critical activities, having that information readily available in your microbiology comments. Or for example, if you're implementing a Bayesian dosing program, can that program live within your EHR versus a standalone process that's going to require a lot of time and manual data entry? I totally agree with you, Ethan. And just thinking about my own experiences, I feel like IT is such a general term. And I think what you've outlined is probably identifying IT resources, but then subspecialized IT resources to help with the microbiology changes or depending on your EHR, EMR, having someone that is able to help with the shortages, with the notifications. But then the other aspect that you've outlined so well is keeping up with these updates. It's such huge huge impact and making sure that the infrastructure can actually be sustainable, making sure the data loading, dosing, making sure that's in a timely manner, not overwhelming the system where you're having to query for five minutes just to get that patient information. What I'm hearing from both of you is that both the data and personnel piece are critical to success in this arena. And with that in mind, how would you describe the current landscape on FTEs to support antimicrobial stewardship? 
this is something that Ripple and I spend a lot of time talking about and trying to navigate our way through this landscape because there's not a clearly established national benchmark for what defines an appropriate number of FTEs within an antimicrobial stewardship program. There are some data out there. There are some publications. There's a Veterans Administration's directive. There's some recommendations in some of the CMS standards for stewardship. And there's some other benchmarking studies. For example, you know, Ripple's group up at UCSF has published a paper on this. The consensus or the common theme amongst many of those publications or those recommendations are really based on hospital size or bed size. And the limitation there is that they're not adjusting for patient acuity of illness or case mix index. What might be appropriate for one institution's bed size may not be appropriate for another institution's bed size, depending on how severely ill their patients are. Another thing, managing NHSN reporting at this point with both AU and AUR requirements now is getting really complicated. You almost need a full-time pharmacist or at least a full-time employee to help with that reporting because there is just so much of it and it is so complicated managing the EMR. These things are complicated. How do you get people to do the right thing to make it easy for them to do the right thing, whether that be navigating all of these emergency use authorizations during COVID, screening for drug interactions with Paxlovid, prescribing your antimicrobials per your institutional guidelines. There's just so much that our pharmacists are involved in, perhaps even now dealing with expanded access or single patient IND protocols for investigational agents. It makes it hard for a single person to do all of this in eight hours. It's been an evolution, and I think that you've outlined some very good examples of what current ID pharmacists are managing. I mean, if you take a look at what an ID pharmacist was doing 20 years ago, maybe they were rounding with the team, they were making recommendations. It's gotten much more complicated and has evolved, especially as stewardship has become a forefront in infectious diseases. And it's complicated as well, finding the FT support for all the things that stewardship encompasses. Now it's involving inpatient, outpatient, transitions of care. There are other areas that stewardship is evolving. And in our profession, it's my opinion that ID pharmacists, we tend to be problem solvers. We're trailblazers. We're the frontline folks. We're the process improvement people. We keep things moving. And sometimes I feel like we're the hidden figures of our department or our profession. It's very important to acknowledge all the different things that we are managing and if we need to parse this out. The last thing that I wanted to add and emphasize is that as ID evolves, as an example, so if a ID service line is expanding, then we need to also keep up with the growth of our stewardship program support or personnel. Even looking at COVID and potentially, hopefully not another pandemic, making sure that we truly have the right number of support for the current state of what is happening with infectious diseases. I feel like it's a dynamic situation and we need to always assess, do we have enough folks? Are we prioritizing the right things and then adjusting as needed? Ripple, you hit the nail on the head with that is making sure that you're keeping up your FTEs with the expansion or the activities that your stewardship program is involved in. Because once you're behind on that, it becomes a challenge for everybody within the program. And those that are listening in that are trying to figure out what their FTE baseline requirements might be, I would suggest evaluating our upcoming infographic on antimicrobial stewardship standards. And it will have some of those benchmarking resources that Ripple and I mentioned. Lots of factors involved in accurately identifying the FTE needs of an organization. And it sounds like it really needs to be customized based on that. So let's move on to EP15 on evidence-based use of antibiotics. What should we consider here? Again, it's all about data. We want to make sure we have robust ways to approach the data measuring or metrics, emphasizing why we need skilled data analytics support to look at these type of things. 
related to this, you need multiple ways to measure metrics depending on the question. The perfect example of a surgical prophylaxis, and you want to know that are you adherent for clean contaminated cases? There's a potential opportunity to really pair up or partner with infection prevention related to this, as well as potentially incorporating some of the NHSN data as applicable with this. Again, emphasizing this point that we need data analytic support, but we also need the right informatics tools to help us have informed decisions related to metrics. That's definitely the key piece in all of this is being able to have that data available to determine whether or not your program or your intervention is going to be successful. Speaking on a broader scale, one of the tools that we use within our health system to determine how we're doing with those measures or with these new interventions is the Vizient Clinical Database. And this is something that we talk about frequently on the Vizient Antimicrobial Stewardship Committee calls is how can we leverage this database for stewardship purposes? There's a rich database in terms of the amount of data that's in there. And to the person that's coming in and using the database for the first time, it is a little bit challenging in terms of figuring out exactly what what's in there because there is just such a wealth of information. You can filter based on service line, you can filter based on diagnosis, secondary, any diagnosis, primary diagnosis, you can filter by resource utilization. And there's so many fields in there. If you're interested in using the clinical database as, as we've done successfully with some of our stewardship benchmarking, I would really suggest going into the learning center. There's not only a user manual that walks you step by step through things such as calculating your days of therapy per thousand patient days, but also monthly monthly new user orientations to the clinical database. And the real power that you get from this database is not only can you benchmark your organization against itself over time, you have the ability to benchmark your organization against all other organizations within the Vezient network. So you can pick organizations that you feel are like to yours and see how you're doing in comparison, for example, with surgical prophylaxis compared to your neighbors or your peers. The first thing is probably medication use evaluation. So looking at either a particular medication guideline or if you're basing it on some type of protocol that you have based on a service line. My program, we have some certain liver transplant protocols related to antimicrobials for empiric therapy and making sure that we're adherent and then sharing that information those groups of prescribers or service line specific analyses can be very helpful. Or if you have a specific antimicrobial that you anecdotally feel that you might have an issue with overuse or maybe even underutilization, there's another way through the clinical database that you can answer that question. It's very helpful because I know that we've discussed related to practices with our respective transplant service lines and what are we seeing from a micro standpoint and what are we seeing in the prescribing. Having those conversations and that network has been very helpful for me to say, yes, we are potentially an outlier. Let's figure out what is going on with the patients and why is it different from my institution versus your institution. This may be more in line what people are traditionally used to is just looking at their protected or restricted antimicrobials and making sure that you're adherent to some of the restriction criteria that you've established. My local PNT and that group, they like to look at that information from time to time. I think this has been a good discussion on the use of EBM. And you had previously mentioned ID practitioners leading the cutting edge or pushing the envelope. And I agree with you. And I think you've been especially effective in this space with that perspective. Moving on to EP20, how do you approach meeting that revised standard on data collection, analysis, and reporting? 
EP20 is where I think we're going to see one of the largest paradigm shifts in what we've been doing in the past compared to what we're going to be doing moving forward. And I say that because compared to even just a decade ago, we have so many more useful tools for summarizing and collecting data and analyzing data programs where you might have multiple data warehouses or sources of data that you can integrate all into a single dashboard. And whether that is supplemented by some sort of artificial intelligence process to help you analyze and identify trends in those data. Historically, a lot of this similar metric of analyzing and collecting data and reporting data has been led by pharmacy resident or students performing retrospective MUEs on a specific disease state or a specific drug. But the problem there is that data might be delayed six months to a year, depending on when you have a student or a resident on rotation with you. And that may not be timely enough to be actionable in today's world. Having these tools at our disposal and using them to create meaningful data to infect change, I really think is what this EP is getting at and what Joint Commission will be looking for moving forward. Just thinking about tying it to data and IT, it'd be great to have automated processes. So measuring some of these things, you have real-time data as opposed to relying on extenders to do the data collection. That's the direction, though it's not outlined here, that is the one step that we should be considering so we can be efficient in this process and not rely on such a manual process and not be so delayed. Really, stewardship is a quality and safety program when you think about it. Initially, people thought with stewardship, yes, we're going to have these amazing cost savings. And I think that is certainly a paradigm shift as it evolves. And I think that's why it's so important to have this data and then be able to make these real-time changes. When you really think about all of the service lines that we touch with stewardship, our work is never done. We will never be finished. There's always something that's happening and there's always new problems, new things that happen. And so I think it's really essential to have the right resources, the data, the IT support, the informatic support, etc. You know, Ripple, as you were going through that, it made me realize it should be mentioned that when you talk about automating this data reporting and your number of FTEs that you have dedicated to your program, don't have your FTEs spinning their wheels, combining spreadsheets and moving data around Excel. Use these programs to your advantage. That data process is automated and the end user is just doing the final analysis and summarizing and presenting it so that it frees them up to do that frontline stewardship work, whether it's handshake stewardship, rounding or pro perspective audit and feedback. That's really how you can expand your limited resources. We need to work smarter, not harder. And I think we have to be very diligent in terms of what we do with our time. We've both alluded to the AI piece or the automation piece, and I completely agree with you. I think there's a lot of opportunity there and predict that the landscape will be very different the next time these standards are updated. So stay tuned. Are there other standards besides the Joint Commission standards that people need to be aware of? What comes to my mind first, in addition to the Joint Commission standards, is CMS. The good thing is there are significant overlaps, so you're not having to deal with separate standards that may be contradicting each other. I mean, there is alignment, and it's probably intentional. But, you know, we want to make sure that we design these interventions and track data so we're fulfilling all these different requirements related to CMS. And for those that are not familiar with the CMS changes, for the institutions that qualify for the CMS promoting interoperability, program. That is related to NHSN reporting now starting in 
of January 1st, 2024. This is requiring antibiotic use and antibiotic resistance to be reported. This is a multidisciplinary approach and there's a certain skill set that is required. So ID pharmacists shouldn't be learning some type of SQL training to program this. I think this is going to have to be experts that are going to be familiar with this data set or getting familiar with it and uploading it. When you look at the CDC, there's actually a frequently asked question section about this and they talk about the different options related to the CMS reporting. But they mentioned that highlighting that we should probably consider connecting with the C-suite about this and then having the chief information officer or some equivalent to identify individuals that can meet this skill set because if this is getting more and more complicated, it's welcomed, but we just need to be strategic in who we involve in this. Absolutely, Ripple. I think this is certainly a welcome change to be able to have access to this additional AU and AR data. But along those lines, other resources that you might be able to leverage to help you in those efforts once you've actually gotten that dashboard or that reporting process up and running are the new core elements that the CDC has issued for public health departments. Like the core elements that we see for our antimicrobial stewardship programs in acute care, there are similar requirements or elements of tracking and reporting data. And I can speak from some experience being on committees with the California Department of Public Health, but they're actually working to integrate some of that NHSN AU data as a proof of concept into a dashboard that the hospitals within our state can use. And it's certainly a much more user-friendly interface, again, coming back to making that data easily accessible and ready for the end user. And I think their hope is to eventually move into AR data as well. The common theme through all of this is access to data. With these new requirements or these new core elements for public health, I think you'll see a lot of local or state health jurisdictions take on similar efforts to improve the access to data that their state or their local hospitals have available to them. And Ethan, you had mentioned the CDC. What other related work do they have going on in this space? The CDC has actually published several new resources for stewardship. For those that weren't able to listen in to the Antibiotic Awareness Week CEs, the CDC's presentation will allude to those in more detail. So highly recommend listening to the recorded session. But one of the other things that I think stewardship programs will have a lot of investment in coming from the CDC are the new core elements for sepsis. These core elements are directed at hospital sepsis programs, which in many instances are separate and spearheaded by separate individuals within the organization that focus on sepsis specifically. But some of the language that they use within those core elements is that those leaders are engaging the antimicrobial stewardship program to optimize the treatment of sepsis by ensuring antibiotic recommendations are based on local evidence and that there's mechanisms in place to review those antibiotics once they're started or once more data becomes available about those septic patients. So stewardship programs might not be taking the lead on those elements, but they're certainly going to have investment and buy-in to make sure that those broad spectrum antimicrobials are tailored appropriately for these patients. Just making sure that folks are aware of this outside of the stewardship realm, making sure our critical care partners and those that are heavily involved in sepsis, I was forwarding this information to my colleagues that weren't aware of these new changes. And though stewardship is not going to be the primary owner of this, it is important to make sure that there are partnerships related to this. I know we've been focusing a lot of the traditional regulatory pieces, but thinking about what you said, Ethan, about CLSI, that's the other piece that affects us or even CAP, where with these changes related to the breakpoints, as you mentioned about the immunoglycosides, we have to make sure that our micro lab is able to make these updates. 
for the folks that are heavily involved with the microlab, you can appreciate that it takes a lot of time to make these changes. It's not just simple like, oh, let's make an IT change. We need to validate this information from a stewardship program perspective. What is the impact, negative or positive, with some of these breakpoint changes? And then other things that we need to consider as we integrate this information. Thank you for those additional comments. This has been a really information-rich discussion about stewardship and where things are going. If people want more information or are looking for other resources, where can they go to find those items about antimicrobial stewardship? Well, fortunately, there are a number of resources available through the Vizient network. The first being an infographic. It's really geared toward the C-suite. It's a single page document, but there's a lot of information and links out to additional information in there. And Ripple has been part of the work group. She's been instrumental in leading that group that's designed and created this infographic. We're hoping that's going to come out in the next several months, and we're very much looking forward to that data being available. The Vizient Clinical Database, it's actually really quite intuitive. And once you get the hang of it, it's something that I've really leveraged within our health system and, and benchmarking ourselves both internally and externally. And then Ripple put together a hot topic in October of 2022, which was a crosswalk between the old Joint Commission standards and the new Joint Commission standards. So if you haven't had a chance to review that, I'd highly recommend that as well. Thank you, Ethan, for the shout out. But this was also a collaborative approach with some of the things that you'd mentioned. And I'm grateful to be on that subcommittee and working with folks like you who have great vision. The other resource to consider looking at, we haven't seen that many formal publications on the FTEs related from a regulatory standpoint, just to clarify. But the VA directive that was published in September, what's interesting about this is that this is an attempt to look at FTEs for physicians and pharmacists. And what I really appreciate about this document is that they highlight what is your baseline FTE depending on the number of beds you have and then the additional FTE that is needed for the ID physician champion and then the ID pharmacist. And what I really appreciate about the table is that they actually acknowledge that stewardship activities are stewardship activities. And when you throw in rounding or managing infectious disease services or other clinical pharmacy duties, that's a whole separate FTE consideration. We're going to hopefully see other organizations or groups help define this question of what is the ideal FTEs that are needed from a physician standpoint, from a stewardship standpoint, and other entities to actually have a robust stewardship program. There was a recent publication, and this is actually a comprehensive document that you all should also consider looking at. It's the principles and practice of antimicrobial stewardship program resource allocation. It just published. And when you look at it, you'll see that it really encompasses how to address the C-suite, FTEs, even going into a little bit about the data Linux questions that we were posing today. It's definitely a great resource, Ripple. I will close with saying that FTE benchmarking can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. So perhaps it's not a bad thing that we don't have a national benchmark as of yet, because if those benchmark numbers are lower than what your program currently has, that could certainly be a challenge. We can use the information that we have to really position ourselves well to be staffed within those programs. And I was hopeful that the CDC was also going to have some data on FTE resources available in the future, though I've recently heard that that's been somewhat deprioritized. But we may see something similar coming out of the CDC in the future. It just remains to be seen. We appreciate your work and contributions to antimicrobial stewardship. And I want to thank you both for joining us today. It's been great having you on to hear about this important issue. Well, thank you for having us here to talk about stewardship and the impact and the changes that we've experienced with these new standards. 
Yes, thanks so much, Gretchen, for having us. And it's been a pleasure. Please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.